Welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Groups, Thursday night, Alcoholics and God, Speaker Step Series. Let's have Spencer with our joke. Hi, I'm a recovered alcoholic and my name is Spencer. I thought I had bad days, but now I've learned that I have bad moments for five minutes and complain about it the whole day. Thank you, Spencer. I'm a recovering alcoholic. My name is Brandon. Thanks for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation, so please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that make noise, that might will slash distract others. Take this time to get connected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away, and ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. Is everybody ready?
guys don't mind joining me with the fog light prayer. God, let your love shine through me like a fog light, so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. There is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked Matt to come up and read Spiritual Experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one, so it's kind of important to know what one is. Matt, recovering alcoholic. Spiritual Experience. The terms spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in the book, which upon careful reading, shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described, Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among a rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspecting inner resource when they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honesty facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. The principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer, Alcoholics Anonymous, page 567. Thank you, Matt. Please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so set your phones to airplane slash meeting mode or just turn it off. And tonight we have Pat R. on the sixth or seventh step, I think. Um, So, yeah, let's have Pat. (laughs) Recovered alcoholic, my name is Pat. And thanks to the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous outlined in this big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, which is the program of AA, I have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, and for that I'll be forever grateful. 
uh, aid and just saved my life, but it gave me a new life. And, uh, and this is part of my new life. <laughs> it's a big part of my new life. And it's, uh, AA is my favorite thing in the world. Uh, without AA, I have nothing. I mean, that's just absolutely the truth. And we were talking before the meeting, uh, Maddie and I, that I just can never say no to anything that anybody asks me to do in this program. It's just, I've been blessed so many, so many times and with so much. Hey, how's it going, guys? And uh, I just, uh, I could never pay AA back for what I've been given. It's just, uh, and I want to be honest with you, sometimes it's the only thing that makes any sense to me. <laughs> you know, I could just be in a total disarray out there in the real world. And, uh, and this makes sense. You know, this makes, at the end of the day, I could come in here and just feel safe and, and uh, take that deep breath. You know, that deep breath, that, that one you get at the third or fourth drink, you know, that, that one you get at the first or second hit, you know, that one. I get that here, you know, without any kind of substance. This is my drug of choice today. You know, I love this place. And, and this is a great meeting if you're new. This is a, you fell into the right place. So uh, we are uh, going to talk about six and seven tonight. Uh, to me, everything has led here. Uh, I, and everything leads back. My opinion is that every this the, the program pyramids right here, you know that that everything has led up to expose these defects of character, and uh, and then everything moving forward is coming back here to keep those defects of character in check. You know, aside from the the amends uh, process that we're involved in, probably next week we'll talk more about that. But uh, but aside from the first two steps, the, the surrender steps, you know the the admission of the powerlessness and uh, the inability to stay stopped and the inability to control once we start, uh, and the uh, admission that no human power can solve that problem. The two requirements, in my opinion, for recovery, for a spiritual awakening slash experience. Uh, aside from that, everything has been about exposing what keeps bringing me back to a drink. I mean, I know that once I start drinking, I cannot control the amount I take. I have a 20-year history that says that is true, that I have never, ever had three drinks, you know, that every time I drink, or and alcohol in any form, by the way, uh, I'm off to the races. But for some reason, I keep going back to the experiment. For some reason, I keep going back to that. And so why is that? I mean, why, what's the answer to that question? Why, knowing that I'm going to blow up my life again, do I pick up a drink again? And, and that's what the, this 3 through 7 has been about. Why is that? What keeps bringing me back there? And the, the third step says it's my behavior. That my behavior keeps bringing me back there. That my behavior keeps putting me in conflict with spiritually, mentally, and physically, with God, myself, and you, my behavior puts me in conflict, then this conflict gets so overwhelming, this internal condition gets so overwhelming that I have to do something about it, and the only answer I have for it is with the bartender or the drug dealer. And so somehow I have to reel that behavior in, and... I have to find out that's true. <laughs> you know, the third, what's the third step? Say you're selfish, you're self-centered, you're driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-pity, self-delusion, and you step on your fo- toes of your fellows, and they retaliate. And we say, sometimes we feel without provocation, mm-hmm. and there's no way of getting rid of that without God's help. So the misuse of these instincts it talks about in the, in the third step. Oh, Jesus. 
didn't mean to blame him, but I love this microphone. Should I read the acceptance prayer again? All right. Is that good, Mike? Is that still working? <laughs> I'm so high tech. So anyways, the, the third step says that self-will run riot is the, is the cause of my problem. That self-will is going to kill me. That not, the alcohol and the drugs are not what's killing me. It's what keeps bringing me back to the alcohol and drugs is what's killing me. And I have to find some way to reel in these instinctual drives. And, and it talked about this, this social instinct, the security instinct, and the sex instinct. These three God-given instincts necessary for my, my survival, our survival. God-given, good, and pleasurable so that we would do them. Right? God made them pleasurable so that we would do them. This idea that we need to be recognized and... Uh, and, and come together to accomplish things, this security instinct where we build shelter and supply food, this sex instinct so we will procreate. And so there's no way for me to reel these things in without God's help. And, and I have to ask myself, is that true? Because the next line in that, in that paragraph is that we usually don't think so. We usually don't think that we're selfish and we're self-centered and driven by fear and self-delusion and self-pity. And the fourth step is about finding out the truth. Is that true? And I sure as hell found out that that was true. Yeah. Didn't take me many... Th- I didn't have to write down much. My first fourth step wasn't very long. You know, my first fourth step wasn't going back to third grade to talk about the guy who pulled the chair out from under me and I fell on the floor. Or the guys that blackened my eye after school in sixth, seventh grade. That wasn't what it was about. My fourth step, my spot said, this is about stopping the bleeding. This is triage. You know, let's stop the bleeding. What is on the front center of your mind? And it was, the bitch took my house. Right? She took the kids. She took custody of the kids. She had me arrested. You know, I have assault and battery charges, restraining order. That was what's on the, that was, that was what, the IRS attached my checking account. Yeah. That was what was, I was bleeding out, right? That's all I could think about when I got here. I wasn't thinking about not drinking. I was thinking about how am I going to get that shit back and get those charges dropped? I didn't have to get much of that down on paper to start to see, holy shit, this is my fault. This is my fault. When you start looking at the turnaround, you know, why did she have me arrested? Well, you assaulted her. Why did she have the restraining her? Because she's scared to death of you. Why'd you have you arrested? Well, it's illegal to assault your wife in front of your children. I I actually had the police on my resentment list. I'm pissed off at the police because they arrested me. They were called to the scene. It was a 911 call. They were doing their job. The IRS was obvious. I thought they took my money. (laughs) They took theirs. It was their money. But as soon as you start seeing the truth, you start to go, oh my God, this is my fault. And you start to get relief. You start to look at, the, as the book says, I start to look at life from a different angle. I start to look at, at people around me as maybe they got issues too. What's going on in their life? Maybe there's something I can do to help. What's it say? We look at them as, they, as sick people as we are. Equals. As soon as we pray for them, as the book asks us to do, pray for the people that we're angry at, that we're resentful for, too. The God in me connects with the God in them, and all of a sudden, instead of being a victim, 
I realize I'm the perpetrator here, and I wonder if there's anything I can do to stop. I wonder anything I can do to help. And we start to get relieved. And we did the same thing with our fear inventory, our resentment inventory, our fear inventory, and our relationship inventory. And then last week I talked about confessing these defects of character to, to God, another, myself, and another human being, right? I desperately needed forgiveness. I desperately needed mercy from the God of my understanding. I now knew exactly who and what I am. And I needed to talk to you for some direction and some clarity. Maybe another point of view on what was going on in that fifth step. What I wrote on my fourth step. uh, I read this book for years and I never noticed uh, right before it gets to the fifth step promises it talks about humility three times. It uses three different words for humility. Where is it? He talks about trying to avoid this humbling experience. And on the next page, it says, uh, the next page is missing. (laughs) It says, uh, where is it? crazy when you're you know what they say about a somebody who has a big book that's a mess they're usually not (laughs) Uh, anyways it's not important we never gain relief until we you finish this humbling experience The fifth step talks about on on page 52 in the 12 and 12 that the great reward of the fifth step is humility. And I love the definition it uses in there. A clear recognition of exactly who and what I am. A clear recognition of exactly who and what I am. And a sincere desire of what I could be. Now, obviously, with God's help. Because there's nothing I can do about them. I love uh, Paul talks about, and I think it's in Corinthians, talks about bring every thought into obedience. Right? So I'm bringing these thoughts into obedience. But what, are, what is the spiritual principle? Am I violating a spiritual principle here, or am I acting on spiritual principles? Am I, is God guiding my life now? Is God my director now, or am I still running the show? That any life I'm in charge of, any life run on self-will, is not going to be a success. But I love that definition. I now have, when I get to the fifth step, a clear recognition of exactly who and what I am. And it's not pretty. It's not pretty. I look at the tools that I'm using to navigate life. They look like dishonesty, inconsideration, selfishness, self-centeredness, fear. Fear, 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 fear. I'm not going to get what I want. You're going to take what I got. You're going to find out who I am. You're going to find out who I really am. Because you guys know me by reputation. God knows me in the dark. I have a clear recognition of exactly who and what I am now. And it's not pretty. I got a... It talks about the fifth step being this foundation. 
of all the steps. To me, the, the, the first five steps are the ones you have to do to put yourself in a position to help somebody else. The rest of this program is lifetime. It's a lifetime process. Six and seven is going to be a lifetime process. Eight and nine, we're going to make an amends for the rest of our life. Ten, eleven, and twelve is the design for living. The first five is the foundation. These are the ones you have to do. If you're going to put yourself in a position to help other people, these are the foundation. I think, I don't know if I said it last week, as soon as we do five, welcome to Alcoholics Anonymous, I tell my guys. Welcome to recovery. You know, you're a member of recovery now because we can start six and seven right now. All right. Now we're going to make the list and start making amends right now. We're going to start doing spot check inventories and nightly inventories right now. And now let's put this design for living in place. You know, we don't waste any time to start practicing these on a daily basis. I have to do something about six or seven or I'm going to go right back to where I was. I'm going to create this internal condition again. I got a confession I got to make, though, before I move on. I, didn't, I held something back in my fist up. You know, the book asks, have you been thorough? You know, have you confessed everything? I couldn't even tell a priest one of the things that was on my fist up. And I share this for a reason. Because I still had an amazing experience at my fist death. <laughs> the obsession was still lifted at my fist death. But I will tell you this, and I can speak for myself, if I didn't deal with it, it was going to deal with me. You know? And I held on to the one, and it was sexual. I mean, I'll tell you that much. You know? It was a kid's thing, kids being kids. You know? I couldn't tell that priest. I held on to it for five years. And the reason I'm sharing this is I didn't drink for those five years. I wouldn't be where I'm at today if I hadn't done the fifth step that I did to the best of my ability at that time. I tell my guys, you do the best you can right now. Do the best you can at this time. We'll address those other issues. So I go out to the Boca Boys. Guys, remembers the, the, the men's meeting that we were part of. I'm five years sober. It's starting to deal with me. I got this, this cloud, right? When I'm sharing from the podium about the fifth step, I got this feeling like you're a liar. You weren't thorough. Let me tell you something up here. Hypocrisy gets drunk. Hypocrisy gets drunk from this podium. It's hard not to do this deal the best of your ability and do this. It's hard to be up here being a liar. And stay sober. Matter of fact, it's impossible for me. <laughs> Maybe that's why I'm so damn transparent. You know, too transparent. You know too much about me. You really do. More than I really want you to. So I get into this. I, we, when I, early in my recovery, we started this clubhouse. I'm not going to mention the name. A few of us got together and started this idea. And we opened up a clubhouse. It's still around today. And... Uh, and I was about five years sober, and my name was on the lease. That was part of the deal. So I was the treasurer, right? So somebody in the group decided that I was stealing money from the treasury, which wasn't true. But what else would I say? But uh, so he investigates. He goes to the bank, gets all these statements and everything, and brings it to the business meeting. And they're making accusations at the business meeting. And I was so pissed off that uh, I, hit him in, I hit him with the checkbook. Like, boom, the checkbook's yours. 
my name's off the lease, my name's off the checking account, and I left a group that I was really, really involved in and, uh, and decided to make Boca Boys Club my home group and got completely like the opposite side of town, right? Went from Deerfield to West Boca. You know, I'm just going to leave the area. <laughs> and, uh, and there's a guy, Howard Cohen, sharing his story. I don't know if it was the Boca Boys Club or the Monday Night Big Book Study or which medium was out there. And Howard shared damn near my secret from the podium. And I was able to get rid of it. I asked Howard that night to sponsor me. We got, I got with him, did another fist step. Was able to get clear of that haunting memory and get free. You know? A lot of this is going to become how free do you want to be? You know? Do you want to live a life of quiet desperation or do you want to be free? You know? I wanted to be free. I just needed the right guy and Howard was the right guy. And Howard was my sponsor for the next 10 years up to the day of his death. You know? And I was able to get rid of it. I'm thankful that I did the best I could at the time that I did it. I'm also thankful that Howard was put in my life. God will put somebody in your life. God will put that person in your life. He will put that right person in my life. It's funny how you, you look back and you only see this in the rearview mirror where you see these so-called what you perceive tragedies turn out to be blessings. Right? Like it was the worst day of my life. I, I love Paul Olinger and, and uh, Dr. Addict Alcoholic. Acceptance is the answer now, I think is the name of it. And, and Dr. Paul says, I thought the day I came into AA was the worst day of my life. It turned out to be the best day of my life. Yeah. I thought losing my position in that group was one of the worst things that could happen to me in AA. It turned out to be the best thing that could happen to me in AA. Howard took me to a whole different level when it came to service and sponsorship and he was, he was an amazing service sponsor. Amazing service sponsor. And then there were other moments. I mean, maybe when we get to 11, I'll share some of the, the, the moments that, that propelled me into spiritual growth. I mean, all my spiritual growth has been grounded in tragedy, unfortunately. Yeah. Whatever it takes, right? I mean, it's like, it seems like that's just what motivates me. Pain. The second worst day of my life, I got a divorce and recovery 15 years sober. I hate to say it, it turned out to be the second best day of my life. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry to her. I wouldn't be in the relationship I'm in today with the person I should have been with all along in my, and, and, and where I'm at today had it not been for that. And I'm talking spiritually speaking, not just relationally, spiritually speaking. You know, we, we, we hit these walls, we stand at these turning points and we're going to either have breakthroughs or breakdowns. You know, we can go into the tragedy and become part of the tragedy, or we can seek more of the solution and overcome the tragedy. And fortunately, I've been leaning in, <laughs> you know, over the years. But if I don't do something about these defects of character, if I don't start acting differently, what, well, our, I mean, it's a cliche, but if we always did what we always do, we're always going to get what we always got, Right. If I don't do something about this internal condition, the book calls it the spiritual malady. If I don't do something about the way I feel emotionally, that spring is going to tighten again until I can't stand it for one more second. And I'll pay the price. Sometimes willingly, 
I, I shared with you guys my, the effort paragraph and more about all of it. That's my favorite paragraph. What about when we deliberately go out and get high or drunk, knowing what the consequences are going to be? We're not even believing a lie. We just can't stand us for one more second. I just can't stand me and the way I feel for one more second. And you, my friends were even standing around going, don't do it. You know, you're going to jail. Yeah, fuck it. You know she's leaving. Fuck it. You know. You know they're testing you Friday. Fuck it. <laughs> I'll pay the price tomorrow. But I need relief right freaking now. In this six and seven, if I can reel these defects in, if I can reel, reel these, these tools that I'm using in, I could eliminate that emotional crippledness that I suffer from. Or at least turn a different direction when it hits. You know, you know, a couple of reasons. I, there's a couple of reasons why I think Bill doesn't spend too much time on it. I, I shared with you guys last week. I think one of the reasons is that because we're going to deal with this in ten. You know, right now it's just about recognizing them, admitting them, admitting the powerlessness over them, and asking God to take us to better things. I'm as powerless over these defects of character as I am over drugs and alcohol. That's a fact. Matter of fact. I am one bad decision when it comes to these character defects, when it comes to these, these instinctual drives. I am one bad decision, not from picking up a drink or a drug, but blowing up my marriage, blowing up my career. I can blow up my life with one bad decision and it will have nothing to do with a drink or a drug. It will have something to do with pleasure. And the violation of principles. Right? I shared, I think I shared with you last week. I, every time I came up against pleasure or principles, pleasure. Right? Pleasure. I'll deal with the principles later. I'll deal with the consequences later. Didn't even think it through. It was a no-brainer. Pleasure. Boom. Blow up another relationship. It's... I think a couple reasons, like I said, he's gonna, we're going to deal with this at 10, but it, but it really is simple, right? Where we were dishonest, start being honest. Where we're selfish, start being unselfish. Instead of making decisions based on fear, how about I make decisions based on courage and bring God into those decisions? How about instead of being selfish and self-centered, be unselfish? Think about somebody else for a change. Maybe I'll be considerate instead of inconsiderate. The book talks about, the 12 and 12 talks about the seven deadly sins, right? Pride, anger, greed, gluttony, lust, envy, sloth. Reeling those instinctual drives in to where I don't create this conflict in my life. Sounds really simple. Just not freaking easy. Because they're powerful. Because they're powerful instincts. They're powerful drives. There's pleasure in them. There's pleasure in the recognition. There's pleasure in the acceptance. There's pleasure in the material world. There's pleasure in the nice car. There's pleasure in the nice watch. The nice house. People you pull up in a nice truck. Oh, a nice truck. Yeah, feels good. Instead of, where'd you get that piece of shit, you know? 
There's a lot of pleasure in sex. It's a driving force. How do I reel them in? How do I bring them into where God intended them to be? Not where I want them to be, where God intended them to be. Am I capable of even doing that? (laughs) Bill went, I think I mentioned last week, Bill went from six lines to seven pages in step six in this 12 and 12. He went from seven lines in step seven to seven pages in the 12 and 12. And what's he start out step six with? This is the step that separates the men from the boys. The girls, the, the women from the girls, right? This is where we see who's really serious. Right? I, I, always, I always thought, you know, that when we read how it works, as half measures availed us nothing. It doesn't seem to be so true, does it? Right? I mean, like, I see people in the program walking around. They're not practicing these principles. I see people that are not drinking, but seem to do things that aren't principle-based, aren't spiritually based. I mean, there's predators in AA. There's scammers in AA. There's thieves here. The assholes aren't are spread evenly through the world. They're not just concentrated in one area. But what kind of life are they leading? Are they leading the kind of life that's promised here? The freedom that's promised here? Uh, or are they living that life of quiet desperation? Worried about who's going to find out what? Hanging in there, right? Hanging in there, one effing day at a time. Yeah. How you doing? Hanging in there. Yeah. Almost through another day. One day at a time. I don't want that. I want to be free. So to be free, I need to reel these instincts. But they're so damn pleasurable, it's hard, right? I love uh, Bill and uh, As Bill Sees It. I think it's on page 100. He talks about the fudge. It's a great reading. He talks about these aspirations he had as a child. One of them, I got to go to uh, East Dorset and the Wilson House. And then next door where Bill grew up with his grandparents in the uh, Griffith House. And you go upstairs to his bedroom and you can look out the window. And it's overgrown now, but you could see where he would have been able to see the top of Mount Aeolus. Right? And he talks about someday climbing that mountain. And how cool it would be to make it up to the top of that mountain and look down at East Dorset and Manchester. And, and enjoy that view. He says, and then for his fourth birthday, his aunt came along with a plate of fudge. And he, for, he ate that fudge and forgot all about the mountain. He said, and he chased that fudge for the next 35 years. I love that line. I found the fudge at a, at a young age. I found an escape at a very young age. And it came in being liked and accepted. It came in having the right car or the right house or the right clothes or the right watch. It came with sex. It came with the right girl. That was the fudge. Sex was the fudge. Because to me, everything else was for that. Right? I need, I need to get a good... Well, this is the way I saw life. You need to get a good education so you can get a good job, so you can get a nice car, and then you'll get the girl. Right? And then you'll be happily ever after. But isn't that kind of what society tells us? Right? Tell us what it means to be successful, what you should look like to be successful, what you should have to be successful. We look at the car, oh, that guy's successful. Yeah. We look at the watch, oh, look at that guy. Yeah. We look at the hair, look at the, the body, you know what I mean? The society says, you need to look like that, you need to dress like that, the, your chest needs to be that size. 
Your nose needs to be this size. Your ears shouldn't stick out like you need to get that fixed. Need to pull that skin in. What the hell is that all about? Because if you look good, you'll feel good? I thought so. (laughs) I thought so. Did anybody's parents have this conversation with you? Look, son, daughter, really what you need to do is get right on the inside. If you could just get right on the inside, get right spiritually speaking, you'll live a happy life. Anybody have that conversation? (laughs) Mine was more like, you get a good education, so you can get a good job. So you can get a nice car, buy a nice house, get a nice girlfriend, settle down, have some children. Then you'll be happy. None of that made me happy. None of that made me happy. If there was a drink or a drug involved in it, it, it made me happy. Made me happy for a few seconds, maybe a few minutes, maybe even a week. But everything loses its freaking shine. Everything lost its shine for me after a while. I don't care whether it was a human being or a car or a house. It was just never enough. Somebody always had something better. And I can't afford that. So that pisses me off. Never happy just where I am. That guy that shared from the podium that he had a life beyond his wildest dreams. He wasn't talking about the outside. He was talking about the inside. The guy that I questioned, do you even have a car or a girlfriend? No, then how can you be happy? I created this fake persona that I wanted everybody to see. It's not who I was. I was what I thought you wanted me to be. That's who I was. I was never me. I shared with you guys about lying about seeing Eric Clapton forever, right? I just wanted to be, somebody said they saw Eric Clapton. I said, yeah, me too. I never saw Eric Clapton, you know. But I wanted to be part of the crowd. And they accepted me. And they said, yeah, where'd you see him? Told him a nice lie. Three Rivers in Pittsburgh. When? Oh, 1973. You know, just lie after lie. But, it, but they liked me because of it. And that's the way I licked my life. I'll say anything, do anything, be anything. I'll buy the rounds. I'll buy the... Coke, just just like me, just let me be part of. That's the way I live my life. <laughs> I look back at it; it's freaking ridiculous, man. I was uh, one of my favorite stories. It just goes to show you that even in recovery, I, I have a hard time trusting that if I just do the right thing, everything will be okay, right? Because I'm still kind of worried about my reputation. I'm still kind of worried about my finances. Less now than I was yesterday or the day before or a week or a year or two ago. Five years ago, ten years ago, fifteen years ago. But there's still a part of me that instinctually wants to defend myself. I mean, it's easy to work this program when everything's going good. But what about when you back into the car in the parking lot at the shopping center and nobody's around? When you get out of the car and you look around, nobody there. Should, should I put the fake note? It's going to cost me. My insurance is going to go up. Spiritual warfare starts. 
<laughs> you know, like, like, like there's a part of me that says, do the right thing. But, you know, Yoda's on one shore. Look, do the right thing. Vader's saying, fuck him, you know. Run. That's when the test is, right? That's, that's when we're defined. I don't know if it's a test, but it sure reveals who I am. Who I am at this moment. One of my favorite stories, right? I get to this house. I install appliances. I get to this house. And, uh, and this lady's telling me how to do my job. And I, you know, my ego. I've been doing this for 30 some years. I'm the best at what I do. Just back away. Right? Just back away. You know? And she does. So I start the job. I'm putting this microwave in. I tap a piece of wood that's up there, and another piece of wood falls down and smashes the top of this new range. Right? Takes a big dent in the panel. Right? And I got a drop cloth on it, and I look, and I cover it back up, and I look around. Nobody saw it. Now I try to straighten it with my fingers. Right? This is metal. Right? So now I'm going to straighten it. I think mentally I thought I could straighten it. I know back in the 70s, there was some hallucinogenics that I used that would move objects on tables, you know. So I'm bending, trying to bend this thing back into shape, and it's just not going there. My social instinct surely affected my ego. I just told this woman I'm the best back away, and I just damaged a brand new stove. This is going to cost me my security instinct. This is, this is a $500 stove, five $600. How am I going to get out of this? And the spiritual warfare starts. Vader and Yoda start going back and forth. And finally I realize you just got to do the right thing. And I have to force myself to do the right thing. I'm 15 years sober at this time. And I got to force myself to do the right thing. And I turn around and look at her. I said, I damaged your stove. Is it okay if I try to fix it? She said, sure. So I order the part. The part comes in wrong twice. Right. Finally, her husband calls me with a few expletives and says, bring another range or I'm suing your ass. Right. That's motivation. Right. And, I, and this is why, why I like to tell this story, because I just don't trust the process. Right. I go to the vendor, the dealer who I subcontract from. I tell them what happened. I pull out my credit card. I said, I need this range. And I'll, and I'll take care of the other one. And the guy says to me, the manager of the store, he says, Pat, you have bailed us out time after time after time for the last 15 years. What makes you think we wouldn't bail you out? Take the range, bring the other one back, and we'll sell it at the clearance center. Don't worry about it. It didn't cost me a dime. But I don't trust that process. Right? There's a part of me that just doesn't get it. I was just thinking on the way over here tonight. I think it was two years ago. I was on my way to probably do a six and seven step talk. I, I think it was. I was on my way over here. I'm in a hurry. I'm running a bit late. I come out of my driveway. I back out. I turn the wheel. What I don't know is that my stepdaughter parked her Cadillac right beside my truck. I take out the whole side of her Cadillac. I pull back into the driveway. I take a look at it. I open up the garage. I get a plunger, right? And I'm trying to plunger the dent out of the doors, right? I swear to God, I went and got rubbing compound to get the, my paint off her car. 
right? All I needed was a freaking ski mask, you know? I mean, I'm compounding my pain off the car. I'm trying to get the dents out. I finally say, F it. Maybe she'll think she did it at a shopping center. And I left. This is, I'm 29 or 30 years sober at this point, right? Now the warfare starts on the way the alcoholics and God, because I'm speaking on spiritual principles. <laughs> Hypocrisy gets drunk. And I got to make the call. And I get on the phone. I call my wife. I just took out the side of your daughter's car. Let me know how much I owe. I got to go. Boom. You know. <laughs> and the torment is gone. The torment is gone. Right? All about the money. All about the instincts. All about the social security. What are they going to think of me? What an idiot. How stupid am I? How much is this going to cost me? And sometimes it's not even major. Sometimes it's just little shit like, why were you late? And I got to lie. You know, well, I caught traffic. No, I didn't. I got up late. But what would they think about me if I tell them I got up late? I'm going to tell them I caught traffic. But you know what this program does? You walk away and you go, shit, you just lied. No, you don't go tell them the truth, but you walk away and just lie. <laughs> Bothered me a little. Yeah. The next time it came up again. Oh, I caught a train, you know, Dixie Highway or a train. Damn it. Lied again. You got to stop this lying stuff, man. And the third time it came up, I didn't say anything. I just went. <laughs> but I didn't lie. I didn't lie. That's progress. That's progress. That's what, it, that's what this step's about, right? Kenny Kane was one of my favorite guys. I was about, I don't know, I don't even, a couple years sober. He was doing a step series at uh, one of the clubs up in Deerfield. And, uh, and Kenny Kane was doing a six and seven step talk. Some of you guys know Kenny. I know John does. And, uh, he, was an, he was a cool, he was a, he was a, he was a character, man. <laughs> Real deal. Real deal. And Kenny starts out the talk on the six and seven step. He says, when I came into AA... They told me I had to shoplift less. And I went, what did he just say? He said, shoplift less? He said, yeah. They told me I had to shoplift less. And I said, we have a thief doing a step series in our group. Now, I'm like in charge of this group. Right? I think I'm in charge of this group. So, so I call this emergency group conscience. Right? And everybody just laughs at me. I said, oh, that's Kenny. You know, let him go. He's fine. I don't know when it hit me. Kenny nailed it. Didn't he? He nailed it. Shoplift less. Lie less. Be dishonest less. It's about progress towards perfection. Knowing we're never going to get there. But we're going to chip away each day. We are broken freaking people. I read that paragraph, my favorite paragraph last week, that, that, that Bill reveals his and our humanness. Suppose we sh- fall short of the chosen ideal and stumble. Are we going to get drunk? Not necessarily. If we recognize that we're falling short, we ask God to take us to better things. Right? Six, I fell short. Damn it. Seven, God, take me to better things. And we're surely back on the right road. And we're not going to pick up. We're going to fall short. 
But if we keep lying, cheating, stealing, continue that behavior knowing it's wrong, but we're doing it because it benefits us, then we're surely to drink. And he says, this is a facts out of our experience. We've seen it. Kenny nailed it. Lie less. <laughs> you know, you know, just... I got I to gotta live from the inside out now. Step seven talks about going out from here. It's not talking about living from the outside in anymore. It's talking about living from the inside out. It's about how do I get right here? And it's not having all those attachments to all the material and what you think of me. What I own or who's on my arm. All good stuff. All necessary. All, I mean, we're, we're, relation, we're relational by nature. We're supposed to be in relationships. That's how that makes the world procreate. That's what makes the world go round. We're supposed to work together. We're supposed to have a shelter. We're supposed to procreate. But the road narrows, man. The road narrows. What was acceptable when I got here and what was acceptable at five years were two different things. That road just started to narrow. I'm not cheating on my wife, but I'm on a porn site. Progress. Right? But at some point that became unacceptable. Right? Because I start thinking about how's that going to affect her? Or what is she going to think about if she finds out about that? And all of a sudden, it's not acceptable anymore. I'm not, I'm not judging any of you guys, trust me. I'm, I know it was a $50 billion industry. I wasn't the only one on it. <laughs> and I'm not judging anybody. You know, God does that. The God within does that. The God within tells you what's right from... You know that voice tells you, put the car back. Put that cart back. You know that voice? Now, you'll be thinking about me every time you're at Home Depot now. Put the cart back. That voice, right? When you drop the litter, pick it up. That voice. You see the guy broken down, maybe I should stop. And You know that voice? That voice tells you right from wrong. You know right from wrong. We know right. We inherently know right from wrong. We instinctively know right from wrong. Bill uh, talks later about the mountain, and he says he finally overcame the mountain. He said, but it, he stumbled up that mountain. And that's what this is. This is like stumbling towards perfection, right? And becoming a better person along the road. And he says, as you climb the mountain and then stumble and fall and take a roll backwards a couple of times and get back up and make some progress, he said, don't forget to stop, turn around, and look down and enjoy the view for a minute, you know, and see how far you've come. You know, I'm nowhere near where I was. I am not that total a-hole that walked in here. I am not that total self-centered, fearful, inconsiderate, selfish individual that walked in here. I'm not where I want to be. I want to be further along the road. But I'm nowhere near that guy. You know, I've made great progress over the years. Got a long way to go. The book talks about shooting towards perfection, knowing we're never going to get there. But as we walk towards it, we're going to become better people. You know, I've made a lot of progress in the years that I'm over here. And I'm proud of that. But I've got a long way to go. 
We have a long way to go. It's funny, I, I was listening to uh, Pastor Dave, made me think of it today when I went past First Baptist, because I, I guess they're affiliated now. But uh, Pastor Dave over at CBG was talking about, uh, we tap into this source, you know, and this source blesses us with these resources, right? I mean, it blesses us with the material and with the, the uh, social and with the, the relational blessings and gifts, and then we start to worship the gifts and forget all about the source. You know, we worship the blessings and forget about the source. And I said, how true that is. How we get caught up in the material and the, and the success and the relational and forget all about where that came from. You know, we've got to keep that first. I have to keep it first. You know? If not, I'm back where I started again. I'm driven again by those instincts. I have to reel those instincts. This is where it all pyramids. This is where it all comes together. Am I going to live a life based on principles or not? Am I going to try to live a life based on principles or not? Am I going to eliminate the conflict in my life or not? When we get to 10, we're going to see that we're going to fall short once in a while, but we can make it right. We can make it right. Step uh, 6 in 12 and 12 talks about 6 being an attitude of willingness. An attitude of willingness to change. I am powerless over these defects of character, over these instinctual drives, and I am willing to change. And step 7 says, with humility as our guide, we go out from there. Toward God and towards our fellows. Right? With humility as I got, knowing exactly who and what I am. But that is my guide. I go out towards God and you. Like I said, I see these two steps like one and two. Only on defects of character. I'm powerless over alcohol and drugs. Only God can remove the obsession. I am powerless over these defects of character. Only God can remove these defects of character. And that's the way I live my life. That's the way I see it. I was... uh, I always talk about being scared to death that I'm going to freeze up here and never have anything to say, which has, has only happened once. So I was uh, speaking up at uh, Boca, up at uh, First Methodist, on this step. And, uh, and I had always wondered why somebody would want to be a priest, right? Like, why would you want to be celibate? <laughs> it just makes no sense, you know? It just seems dysfunctional to me. <laughs> Until I met Father Kelly uh, in my church at St. Andrews. And I watched this guy do the Mass. And I'm not preaching religion here, but I go to all different churches. I'm a member of a Catholic church, but I, go to, I love non-denominational churches. I, I go all over the place. I go wherever God is. I don't, I don't care. You know. uh, and Father Kelly, when he's doing the Mass, there are tears coming down his face. Right When he does his... A homily, he is channeled. I mean, he is channeled. His eyes roll back. He looks up. He doesn't have any notes. He doesn't look at any. He is just channeled. And I got it. I said, my God, he has such a relationship with the God of his understanding that he's free from the bondage of the material. He's free from the bondage of the sexual. He's free. He doesn't give a crap what you think about him. 
He's free. And what I shared from the podium is I want that. I want that. And I froze right there. There was about 10 or 15 minutes left in the meeting, and I, I had nothing. There were a few people I know that were there. And I, I couldn't get another word out because it was a lie. Because if I wanted what he had, I'd do what he did. And I'm not willing to do what he did. I'm not willing to sacrifice what he sacrifices to get what he got. He sacrificed the material world. He sacrificed the relationship world. He sacrificed the social instinct for a relationship with God. And I'm not willing to do that. <laughs> I'm not willing to go that far. I don't, I don't want it that bad, <laughs> I guess. You know. That's just being honest. You know, I still like my truck. I still love my wife. <laughs> I still like sex. You know, I still like attention. I still like validation. You know, I don't know if I'll ever be that free. But I'm working on it. You know, the uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna end with this is that uh, the, the twelve twelve talks about spiritual success always will precede. Material and relational success. Always. Always. You'll always be dependent on that relationship or that material stuff if you're not right spiritually. You know, I have been blessed with the material and the relationship. But if I lost it, I would be fine. I know that. Because I have a relationship with God today. That I will be, not that I won't want it. Not that I won't be looking for it. But it wouldn't devastate me to a point now where I would have a gun to my head like it did before. Or be picking up a drink or a drug. Because I have another solution other than alcohol and drugs. And that solution is God. And I shared with you guys last week, God entered my heart in a way which is indeed miraculous in my fifth step. And I found another option to alcohol and drugs. I can come here, I can go to church, I can go to anywhere God is. I can call a sponsee, I can call a sponsor. I have a lot of ways out now other than a drink or a drug. God took away the obsession to drink and drug for me. And we go out from here. We go out from here. The uh, seventh step prayer is a duplicate, really, of the third step prayer with different words. Right? God, I offer myself to my creator, take all of me. You know, really the same prayer. The only difference is there's an amen after the seventh step prayer. Because the traveler has changed. Nothing changed in the third step. The third step was terms of surrender. And now as a result of the work we've done, the traveler has changed. We've changed. We're different people now. As a result of three, four, and five, and the awareness and the willingness to let go of these defects of character, I have changed. Amen. We have changed. Amen. Thanks for letting me be here tonight. Let's thank Pat one more time. And then we're going to have Keith with our secretary report.
In keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group should be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around. Uh, we also have QR codes behind the seats in front of you, if you're interested in using those. Uh, you can also now um, tap to pay uh, for our seventh tradition. Um, I have asked Brian to read the recovered statement. We read this notice to explain why many people in AA identify as recovered rather than recovering and what it exactly means to be a recovered alcoholic. I'm Brian, I'm an alcoholic. Brian. Recovered. We are not cured from alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain within us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of alcohol, alcoholic centers in the mind rather than in the body. Page 23. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Thanks, 1940s style big book sponsorship from forward to the second edition, Alcoholics Anonymous. The alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time, neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% success rate. If anyone is needing a sponsor, please raise your hand. Anybody need a sponsor out there? Ah, great. What's your name? Jason. Jason. Welcome, Jason. In the back? Peyton. Peyton. Nice to meet you, Peyton. Cameron. Cameron. All right. Um, let's see, do we have anybody else? Did I miss somebody? I'm sorry. Nala. Nala. Nice to meet you, Nala. Glad you're here. Um, let's see. Can the recovered alcoholics raise your hands? All right. If your hand was not raised, we suggest that you hang out with those whose hands were. Um, and if you'd like to meet up after the meeting uh, to connect with a potential sponsor, please come up to the piano and uh, somebody will talk to you afterwards. Uh, let's see, screen announcements. I have to read from a second page. Let's see here. Intergroup is where you can buy AA-related literature and medallions. Intergroup is also responsible for creating our where and when and scheduling the AA hotline. Stop by and visit them. Um, Broward County Institutions Committee is, any, is responsible for bringing meetings into places where people like us can't get out and to a, out to an AA meeting, such as jails and detoxes and rehabs. They meet monthly to organize the meeting schedules at the 12th Step House. Do we have any members of BCIC here tonight? Not tonight. Okay. Please stand. So, let's see. Oh, no. That's, I'm sorry. Bear with me here. Here are some upcoming service opportunities. What do we have? The Broward County Intergroups. Let's see. Volunteers. Uh, 60th Intergroup Appreciation Banquet. Next slide. Okay, AA's Got Talent, Sunday, December 10th. We've got uh, flyers in the back for all of these um, service opportunities. Please take a look after the meeting. Um, let's see. 
<clears throat> and of course, here's our home group's Monday night Big Book study workshop where Big Book comes alive. Join us for fellowship at 6.30. Workshop starts at 7.15. That's here on the second floor on Monday evenings. All right, we meet every Thursday starting promptly at 7.15. We ask that you be courteous and ready to begin at the sound of the bells. And I believe we have, um, we have Pat for another three weeks. Is that right, Pat? Three more weeks? Yeah. Okay. And I believe that's it for me. Back to the chair. Thanks, Keith. We have tonight's sessions and all past speaker podcasts at alcoholicsandgod.org. I'd like to invite everyone to our Monday night big book study. And those who wish to thank the speaker tonight, please line up in the center aisle. And we're going to close with the Lord's Prayer in our seats. Our Father, who art in heaven, how I be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thy is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thirsty bodies aching. I am desperately in need of restoration. It doesn't matter.
Zazzles and zazzles and oh, when you're smiling. When you laughing, when you laughing, yes, the sun comes shining through. But when you crying. Sighing, baby, and be happy again. Yes, and keep on smiling. Keep on smiling, baby, and I hope. This 
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. Now, growing vines, they 
twist and turn each way Flowers blooming all the time Outside my door Never before I had to change everything To realize That today is the best day of my life Cause this broken man I travel Far and wide Through the great divide Through his own heart Yeah Just about to smile. So I face each day in a brand new way. Show up and plug in my guitar. And I play my songs. And people sing along. And stomp their feet and raise their arms. And here in this moment that we share. song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye. I think you know this one, don't you?
Say. 